3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I will to be my friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is entertainment, to educate and teach you, so call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. No, no, the banking crisis isn't over. But on the other hand, at least there's a way to handle troubled banks, a way to get out of this jam. Oh, and to be sure, I'm downgrading this one from crisis to jam, because if you're jammed, you can get unjammed. There's a way out. That's what happened today when we learned that some medium-sized outfit named First Citizens Bank shares had to look up the darn symbol, took over the failed Silicon Valley Bank's branches, loans, and deposits. It is a sweetheart deal because they're buying $72 billion in loans at a $16.5 billion discount. Another $90 in SVB securities will remain in receivership. I think a lot of those Silicon Valley Bank loans, by the way, are going to turn out to be good ones. No wonder First Citizens Bank shares soared. stock soared nearly 54% today. That cast a rosy glow on the whole session, allowing the Dow to get 195 points. s and advanced 0.16%. NASDAQ dipped 0.47%. I'll go into that relationship in a second. So is this the solution for our bank-run problem? I wish. The reason this deal works is that the government already owns Silicon Valley Bank after taking the stock to zero. <laughs> This kind of thing only can happen in receivership after a bank has already failed because that can eliminate a lot of risk for the buyer. Our system simply isn't ready for a wave of bank failures. That's not an ideal solution. Which brings us back to First Republic Bank, the one that looks the most like Silicon Valley, with a stock that's traded as high as $16 and change today, but falling back to $13.82 in an anemic close, although it's still a 12% rally from Friday. The opening rally, though, today, in retrospect, was premature. No bank is likely to step up and buy First Republic whole, and, and not in receivership because it'll immediately hurt the quarter. That's the only way they can do it, in receivership. And that's not gonna happen. There's no guarantee, well, I guess it could if things really go bad, but there's no guarantee, no indemnities, no deep-pocketed partner that makes you whole if things go wrong. First Republic has to go down before a good deal can be worked out, unless the FDIC can somehow indemnify the buyer from losses. And I have to tell you, I've worked hard on this. I can't come up with a way it can be done. That's the bad news. But the good news is the government now has a plan. If there's another old-fashioned bank run, you just close it. You zero out the bonds, zero out the common stock, and you find another uh, first citizens to buy what's left because we saw that that stock jumped more than 53% when it got this deal. What does this mean for the stock market? Well, it's frankly not easy to reconcile. We know there was a big uh, slowdown deposit flight last week across the country with less money moving out of the regionals into the larger, safer banks. That's positive. But we also know if the outflows start up with any velocity, say at First Republic, maybe the process will start all over again. Which brings me to what really matters. Last week, the Fed decided to raise interest rates by 25 basis points and not 50 basis points, as many thought could happen a week before that, because it was concerned about these banking crises now of gutting confidence at the worst possible time for our country. While the Fed wants inflation to come down, it doesn't want it to come down in the worst possible way which would be as a result of more bank failures. The good news is that we now know there'll be other banks like First Citizens Bank shares that are trying to figure out how much they can make if they get involved in one of these situations. You can have your stock double, sell sell stock, have more money come in. It's a virtuous circle. The bad news is this kind of bank collapse has a similar impact to another rate hike from the Fed and not just a quarter point one. Of course, First Republic isn't like Silicon Valley Bank, which fell apart in 48 hours, because it had a very concentrated deposit base, namely some large venture capital firms and their portfolio companies that bolted almost simultaneously. First Republic's deposit base could be a little more intrepid. Some people would say sticky. But if you're making these decisions at a business, you don't want to be a hero, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to just put my money in there and just hope everything does well. Just to keep the money in the struggling regional bank where you aren't protected above $250,000 with the FDIC's insurance. And many of First Republic's, by the way, their customers are very rich and they have a lot more money than they may have coverage. Of course, First Republic isn't a sitting duck. It can borrow money from the Fed at decent rates. It can figure out how many of us deposits are protected by the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar limit. Then borrow to fill the gap if the government will let it. I think they will. I know I don't sound all that worried. And honestly, while I am chagrined, I am more positive than last week because here's what's happened. I care about velocity and the velocity of the run on the banking system has slowed. It's going from pell-mell just last Wednesday when Janet Yellen told Congress there was no master plan to save the banks to less worrisome, at least for the moment. The regulators are probably getting out of the situation that matters. I think they're going to have a plan. It's actually going to inspire confidence. I think they can make us feel like there's no need to flee from our regional banks because depositors will get bailed out. Don't worry. That was what we thought was happening last week when Fed Chief Jay Powell seemed to indicate, don't test us, we'll be there. But Secretary Yellen at the exact same time, perhaps to please the boss, said no bailouts, even as it's hard to call making depositors whole a bailout when the shareholders and the bondholders get wiped out. You aren't doing a bailout when you destroy the investors and the creditors. Let's step back a second. If this market's ever going to stop the one step forward, one step back nonsense that you know has existed forever... The Fed needs to cut it out with the rate hikes. Unfortunately, they won't do that until wage inflation cools dramatically. Remember, that's the issue is wage inflation. How do you stop wage inflation? Well, it tends to vanish on its own when you have less business expansion, which the Fed can engineer with rate hikes by making it more expensive to borrow money. If This leads to wage stagnation. It crushes housing and order demand, causes people to fall behind on their credit cards. And that's how you whip inflation now. Of course, there's another faster but far more dangerous way to arrive at the same outcome. When you get a financial panic and banks start worrying about going under, They become a lot more cautious about lending money to you, which results in the same slowdown in business expansion that you get with enough gradual rate hikes from the Fed. It just happens immediately. That's why I think this bank crisis or jam, if left to its own devices, is equal to about 100 basis points of tightening if it continues like this. A big bank failure is incredibly deflationary. By the way, it's perhaps the most deflationary thing that can happen in an entire economy. It's more shocking than endless rate hikes, but it gets the darn process over with, even with collateral damage that tends to to be a lot worse. No, I don't want it to be this way. Believe me, this is a bad way to beat inflation, but it'll definitely do the job. And yes, today's shotgun wedding with First Citizens shows that some banks are ready to take on the troubled entities after they've wiped out. That was the new information from this morning. That mattered. I do recognize, though, that the Fed didn't tighten by 50 basis points this week, precisely because of the next Silicon Valley bank-style meltdown, which is still very much a real possibility as we go home this very night. Put an oddity, what's good for the banks is regarded as bad for tech, especially mega cap tech like Apple and Meta, Alphabet, Microsoft. Some wrongheaded people seem to think that you can swap weak balance sheet companies, the banks, for strong balance sheet companies, the tech titans. That's dumb as recycled box board, which is why these moves only last as long as you're far away from earnings season. Tech stocks trade on earnings for heaven's sake. Not on their balance sheets. This market is incoherent. What's good for the bank gander is apparently bad for the tech goose. I mean, I don't know. It, give me a BigMacFries.co. In the end, though, we still don't know what's going to happen to the deposit base of First Republic. Hey, let's cross our fingers. That could do it, right? The maddening psychology on the ground. But the bottom line, the longer this mini banking crisis drags on, the higher the Federal Reserve has to take interest rates. On the other hand, if larger ban- a larger bank fails, the rate hikes, they could be Put yep, yeah, over. It'll get us through the end of the tightening cycle much faster. You don't have to fight the Fed anymore. It'll get there with a lot more pain and a lot more fright, and a lot more panic. Well, okay. You go in Ohio, Hugo. Jim, uh, you long-term go. viewer, big-time fan of your show. Thank you, Hugo. Thank you for calling. And uh, my questions tonight are about two REITs. Um, a few months back, you had the, uh, I think, the chairman or the uh, president of uh, VC on. And if they took yeah, I like texas and he's yeah, good man. And, but towards the end of that interview, I think you mentioned G, uh, you mentioned Penn National. And what surprised me about that was Penn National years ago spun off their properties into a REIT called GLPI. Yes it did. Yes it and did. What you a wonder got worse since.
4: Yeah. And what I wonder is when you're
3: talking about that. Yep.
4: Do you think that VC will make a play to take over GLPI?
3: Uh, I I tell you, VC's got his hand filled with the last couple of deals. I like VC because I like consistent dividend payout, and that's what VC has. Uh, Penn is too up and down for me these days. Hey, let's go to Henry in North Carolina. Henry! Hey, Jim, how's it going? Henry, it's good. I got my voice today. No, there's no more ventriloquy. Is it, is it ventriloquism? I don't know. Let me Google that. Go ahead. What's up? Um, hey, uh, my question to you is, do you think that GameStop is a buy given its pre- first profitable quarter in over two years? Okay, this is a great question. Here's what I feel about GameStop. It is a cult stock. That means there are people who love it no matter what. The fact that it's making money, regardless of whether it's NFT exposure or whatever, I don't want to get in the way of it. People can take it where they want. It's kind of like Bitcoin when it's at 19000 It's like, yeah, let's just take it up. I mean, a go, hey, guys, what else are we doing this afternoon? I don't know. Should we get a haircut? I don't know. Should we watch NCAA? Why don't we just take up GameStop? It's kind of like that. I mean, that's not the game that I like to play. Hey, change the channel. put it, Take GameStop up. The longer this mini banking crisis drags on, the higher the Federal Reserve is going to have to take rates. It would take a larger bank failing and a lot more pain and panic. To get us to the end of this tightening cycle, it could be a little frightening. Maybe tonight, it might be too soon to bottom fish with the regional bank work, but are there bargains to be had in some adjacent names that got punished unfairly? I'm revealing one stock I think you should keep in your radar. Then, you called me in and you stumped me on Champion X! So is this, the, is this the champ, the kind of stock that may work in this environment? I'll give you my take. And ChatGPT is the whole world interested in AI, including you. So I don't know, how about some new names to play? I'm getting tired of the old ones. I'm revealing the ones that could be worth watching. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnBC.com.
0: Take your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card.
2: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
3: When the bank run started a few weeks ago with Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, and Signature going down like dominoes, every regional bank stock suddenly became suspect. The group's down nearly 28% for the month. Ouch! Including some horrific declines from First Republic, talked about them earlier, PacWest, and Western Alliance. I think it's too early to start trying to bottom fish in even the highest quality regional banks. At some point, the best-run operators like Huntington Banks, just M&T Bank, they should be worth picking. I like that Colin Frost, too. But right now, I say it's too early to stick your neck out, especially when the worries about First Republic have yet to be put into bed. However, the collateral damage from the regional banking meltdown has spread to adjacent groups. And some of these stocks are just much safer. Take Charles Schwab the discount brokerage firm with more than $7 trillion in client assets. When Silicon Valley Bank started imploding, Schwab got hit almost as hard as the most endangered regionals. From March 9th through March 13th, this stock plunged from $76, where it wasn't even that expensive, to just under $52. Since then, it's bounced back to $54 change. But it's still down about 30% month-to-date. Schwab's doing even worse than the SMB regional bank ETF. we got to get in this. The ETF is like, I mean, it's better than all of them. Why on earth did a discount broker stock get annihilated like this? Because Schwab has a bank, too, a bank that holds the cash from the brokerage clients, most of which are just known as sweep accounts. As Wall Street started researching for uh, searching for banks that looked similar to SVB, Schwab got lumped in them because of this. They they didn't take into account the sweep. See, after the bank runs, investors are wary of anything but the majority of investments in securities rather than loans. Schwab has 60% of its interest earnings assets in the securities portfolio. Wall Street also worries about banks with large unrealized losses in the held to maturity portion of their bond portfolio. And Schwab has those too. As of the end of last year, they had $14 billion of net unrealized losses in their $173 billion worth of agency mortgage-backed securities in the held to maturity portfolio. Bad ratio. Of course, those losses only matter if the company's forced to sell its bonds in a pinch, though, rather than simply holding them to maturity and getting all of their money back. Remember, there's no credit risk here. It's just where they bought them on the curve. But if Schwab were somehow forced to sell this stuff in a pinch, that $14 billion loss dwarfs their $8 billion in tangible common equity, hence what people thought was a mismatch. Sounds very scary, right? Wrong. At the end of the day, this is the wrong way to judge Schwab although many people did make that mistake. I think the recent pullback here is an incredibly viable dip. You can't analyze Charles Schwab like a regional bank because it's a brokerage firm, for heaven's sake. Sure, it may have some similarities to Silicon Valley Bank on the investment side, but the real killer for SVB was its deposit base. Those guys got most of their money from a relatively small number of corporate customers connected to the venture capital industrial complex. These people all know each other. Once one of them starts worrying about a bank run, they're all worried about a bank run. There's nothing like Schwab Nothing. It has nothing to do with it, which is a consumer-focused brokerage firm. None of those giant pools of capital. They cater to individuals, and crucially, about 80% of their deposits are FDIC-insured. On top of that, the money in their banking arm is simply the underinvested cash from their clients' brokerage accounts, not their main source of savings. It's very sticky. Maybe the stickiest. I think it's a ridiculous story about a Ronald Schwab. Last week, the company tried to erase all doubts about its stability by giving the Wall Street Journal a very interesting look under its hood at its sources of liquidity. I don't want to get into the weeds here, but Schwab should have about $100 billion of cash flow this year from its regular business. And if there's some kind of emergency, they can easily raise an additional $8 billion per month in selling certificates of deposits. I wish I owned this bank, this brokerage house. Schwab, oh, Schwab can also tap more than... $300 billion in liquidity for the Federal Home Loan Bank Board and other short-term government lending facilities, including the Fed's newly established bank term funding program, which is a pretty cool thing. Meanwhile, these guys had roughly $366 billion in deposits as of the end of last year. Get this. CEO Walter Bettinger explained to the Wall Street Journal, there would be a sufficient amount of liquidity right there to cover if 100% of our bank deposits ran off without having to sell a single security. 100! I mean, it's incredible! Remember, ever since SVB went under, Wall Street's terrified other financials might have to sell chunks of the bonds holdings uh, at losses. Schwab's saying there's no scenario where they'd be forced to do that. Plus, it's not like there's much reason for depositors to flee Schwab in the first place. So with the worst-case scenario off the table, let's talk valuation now that the stock's been obliterated. In less than three months, the consensus 2023 earnings estimates for Schwab have already been slashed. Now, that does matter. 488 goes down to 407. So there is some earnings risk. Let's take it down. Why don't we just give it a four? Let's take it to four bucks. That means the stock's currently trading at 13 times earnings, a huge discount to its historical average of 19 times earnings over the past five years. Remember, this is a pristine franchise. People value this one more than almost all the Wall Street franchises. Schwab hasn't been this cheap since March of 2020, when the COVID crash hit and Wall Street thought the world was ending. That was a fantastic buying opportunity. From March 2020 to the peak a little over a year ago, this stock more than tripled. I sense something like this could happen now, finally. It sure doesn't hurt that we're seeing a ton of insider buying here from the CEO, CFO, president, and at least five of Schwab Directors. In fact, the CEO personally bought 50,000 shares at 59 bucks and changed it a couple of weeks ago. You got the angel on them. Insider herself for all kinds of reasons, but they only bought for one reason. They believe the stock's headed higher. All that said, while the bank run worries are bogus here, the serious bear case against Schwab is that earnings power will take a bigger hit from tighter net interest margin spreads if something bad happens and they're forced to tap some of these government programs to raise liquidity. Because the borrowing cost for these programs tends to be much higher than simply using your client's deposit money. However, the earnings estimates have already come way down. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've yet to see a serious argument why, that explains why Schwab's deposit base could be in danger. I also think the hit to Schwab earnings would be much less than a typical bank because its loan loss ratio would be much lower. In the end, it's insane that Charles Schwab's trading as though it's some kind of troubled regional. This is a very popular discount broker. It's consolidating a previously hyper-competitive industry with its fairly recent acquisition of TD Merchant. There's simply no crisis at Schwab. And if there's no crisis, the stock's ridiculously cheap down here at least 14 times earnings. The bottom line? Most of the stocks that have sold off hard in response to regional banking crisis deserve to go down because, well, they're regional banks. They're right in the bank run blast radius, and they still remain that way, even as the deposit flight slowed last week. But there are opportunities in beating down financials if you know where to look. Like Charles Schwab, a big discount brokerage firm with very little in common with regional banks that went down the last couple of weeks. I think it's a steal right here in the mid-50s. Mad Money is back after the break.
1: Coming up. Does your portfolio need a champion? See if this stock can help you go for the gold in ways that might surprise. Next.
4: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobilecom slash now.
0: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: If our government can get us through this banking crisis, I think we may look back on this moment as a tremendous buying opportunity in the groups that got crushed in the last few weeks that really had nothing to do with this. That's why tonight I want to take a look at a company brought to our attention by John in Arizona over a month ago. It's called Champion X. That's C-H-A-M-P-I-O-N X, which is an oil service company spun off by Dover, one of my favorite conglomerates nearly five years ago. This stock's a little off hard this month, but that might be where the opportunity comes in. Right now, all this stuff's trading like we're headed for a truly severe recession. However, if the regional banking crisis causes the Fed to stop tightening uh, after last week's hike, or only hits us with one more one-quarter point hike, as Powell implied last week, then I'm feeling less downbeat. Certainly, the price of oil has recovered from its lows. Now, back to the low 70s. Huge day today, by the way, courtesy Chinese demand cutbacks in American production growth. In that environment, something like Champion X should hold up just fine. The company provides all sorts of chemistry solutions, artificial lift systems, and highly engineered equipment to help oil and gas producers get more fossil fuels out of the ground. If I had an analogy, think of Champion X as a scientist for oil, Einstein for oil, somewhat similar to the old Core Labs uh, back before the fracking boom collapsed under its own weight. This one's got an interesting history. I like the bloodlines here. Champion X was spun off in May of 2018 during an extended oil downturn. It was originally as a company called Apergy, A-P-R-G-Y, whatever that was. Then at the end of 2019, it announced a merger with Ecolab's upstream energy business called Champion X, which is the name they stuck with. I like it more than Apergine. That merger didn't go through until mid-2020, at which point the stock had been put through this COVID meat grinder, at one point plunging all the way to the low single digits. Okay, we missed that. That's all right. Since then, Champion X has made a huge comeback, along with the rest of the oil and gas industry. As the Fed started tightening aggressively last week, the stock lost its mojo. Ba- last year, I'm sorry. The stock lost its mojo, bouncing between the high teens and low 20s. But then last fall, we got more optimistic about the inflation situation. This thing ran all the way back to 33 and changed in late January. Of course, the last few weeks have been real ugly. We know that. I mean, you look at anything involving the oil patch, and it's been crushed, including this company, Champion X. As the Fed doubled down on the fight against inflation, then these regional banks started going down like the dominoes, which is why Champion X has fallen back to 25 and changed as of today. Look at this. It's trading like its first republic bank, for heaven's sake. That's crazy. It ain't no First Republic Bank, but if you're confident that oil can avoid going back to the 60s uh, for an extended stay, as I am, then this could be a very enticing story right here. Remember, the oil companies need to spend fortunes on their wells just to keep production at the same levels after years of underinvestment. Some people say it's been as many as seven years. Thank you, Halliburton. They need Champion X, even in an environment where demand is very nearly flat. But why go with Champion X specifically? Look, ever since the merger that created this company closed in mid-2020, has been working to integrate Aperture and in the old Champion X, and that works now largely complete. Lots of cross-selling opportunities. They also offer many more services to exploration production outlets, all geared toward maximizing production of existing wells. That's where the money is. That's exactly what the producers are focused on, because they don't want to spend too much drilling new wells if they don't have to. At the same time, like so many other facilitators of global warming, Champion X has found an opportunity to go green, at Investor Day event earlier this month, they talked about a new growth area where they're becoming a market leader. It's called emissions monitoring. All these energy companies want to lower their carbon footprints, but even given the nature of the business, there's not a ton they can do. What they can do is limit the amount of excess emissions that escape from the production sites. That's a huge contributor to climate change, gigantic. And Champion X helps them monitor the situation. What a great annuity business. More important, unless the global economy goes into a serious tailspin, this is a terrific company. Last year, Champion X racked up 24% revenue growth thanks to a combination of increased drilling activity and strong pricing power. <laughs> This is the same story we've heard from many other players in the oil service space, Kramer, Fave Halbert. We got a giant position in the Travel Trust, but that I will talk about that stock tomorrow at our 12 o'clock club meeting. Things might get more difficult this year depending on the central banks around the world, but the company's still guiding for high single-digit compound annual revenue growth for the next three years. Visibility. By the way, I still very much like the giants of the oil service space. I've mentioned Halliburton, SLB, which is the old But Champion X has its own appeal. It might be less cyclical because it offers tons of value added services that help make producers more efficient. I like the pastiche of that mosaic of what they offer. Plus, Champion X has spent the past three years aggressively cutting costs. I mean, really, cut it just. And paying down debt. They've now got a pretty clean balance sheet, which has allowed the company to start returning significant amounts of capital to its shareholders. Last year, management returned 69% of their free cash flow to shareholders via dividends and buybacks. That's pretty high. This year, they said they'll return at least 60%. Now, look, the dividend just yields 1.3% here, but they did raise the payout by 13% last month. I think that's a strong show of confidence. ChampionX has been more generous with their buybacks, though. They've authorized a $750 million repurchase program. This year. You know, that's 14% of the company's market cap at the stock's current price. That's enormous. If you don't want to buy the stock, they're happy to buy it from you. So all these things considered, I like this story very much. I want to thank John in Arizona. Our viewers are so smart for putting in our radar and making us open the book on it. Of course, there's a big caveat here. If you're going to be Bullshit in Champion next, you need to be somewhat constructive in energy prices as we are. Because if crude goods knocked back to below the 60s and stays there, This business will not make its numbers. Also, the most recent earnings report, I'm calling it Mixed, soft forecast for the current quarter. Management didn't announce any new financial targets at last week's investor day. Eh, Something that might have made up for the week's short-term story. Sadly, it didn't happen. But here's the bottom line. If you think we're headed for a nasty worldwide recession thanks to the sudden banking crisis, a stock like X, let's just call it a landmine. You don't want oil services in in an economic meltdown. It's wrong. But if you believe the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department can steer us away from the most horrific outcomes, then this stock's massive of decline like a regional bank over the past few weeks Turned out to be a terrific buy, buy, buy! opportunity. Jerry in Missouri. Jerry. Hey, Jim. I'm looking forward to Jerry. tomorrow's monthly meeting. Yes. You're going to uh, love it. I am throwing a lot at you. We're going over all the stocks. A couple of anecdotes. I can't wait. I can't wait to. We're starting now. What's up?
1: Well, one of your 2023 favorites has Pretty much been stuck for the last three months. Do you still consider Enphase Energy as one of your top stocks. Oh man, I
3: saw it down in the 190s, and I said, "Oh come on! What is this trading like an oil stock?" Friends, Enphase is a terrific multi-year story. I totally like the story, and I think right here, down so big from its high, you just got Enphase is for me. How about Joe in my home state, of New Jersey, Joe?
4: Hello, Mr. Kramer. Thank you so
3: much for having me on. I'm Patrick Kahn, uh, What's going on? I own a Toyota Tacoma pickup truck. They have pretty much, you know, the best trucks out there. Now, it being at a near 52-week 52, 52 low, is it a buy? Uh, look, we own Ford for uh, the Chapel Trust, and that's rough enough. I'm not going to get you into any other houses of pain. We need to see this group start doing better because it's trading as if we're going into recession and you can't own these stocks. So I say hold off. Let's see how Ford does when they when they report suit. That will be the tell. Now, if you believe the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department can steer us away from the most horrific outcomes, then the massive decline in a stock called Champion X, which we didn't know about the John Arizona told us about over the past few weeks, could turn be a terrific. Bye bye bye. Much more Mad Money yet. AI might not be able to program the perfect portfolio quite yet, but it could help you make money. I'm revealing a list of AI adjacent stocks that might be worth keeping an eye on that nobody's talking about except for us. And the oils have been a tough corner in this market, right? But something has changed in the way I'm approaching the sector. I'm gonna reveal what it is, why Champion X might be better than you think. And Oil Calls fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. so far, artificial intelligence has become the biggest secular trend of 2023. Thanks to the mere rise of ChatGPT and other similar generative AI programs. Once ChatGPT got big, we realized generative AI would eventually disrupt all sorts of industries. But Wall Street's also struggled to find good ways to play it. First, people piled into Microsoft, which is a major investor in OpenAI, and has already started integrating ChatGPT technology into its products. Next, people bought, of course, (laughs) I often feel like they are pushing, NVIDIA, because as I said many times, it's their underlying tech stuff that powers everything that we see in this space. They're so far ahead of everybody. But now, though. Two obvious winners have run up substantially, right? I mean, Microsoft's rallied 16%, 15% year-to-date, and surged 81%. Now, I still like both companies and their stocks, but you're not exactly getting in at the ground floor anymore. So tonight, I want to give you some additional options, some other ways to play the generative AI story, not with the companies that are creating AI, But with the companies that will be using AI to improve their existing businesses going forward, this is all eye-opening stuff, people. You haven't heard this yet. You can think of them as AI collaborators, although that makes them sound like uh, bad guys in the next Terminator reboot. We know who they are, though, because last week, NVIDIA, in its incredible annual GPU technology conference, gave us a bunch of them. They announced a host of new partners and customers for their AI platforms. Basically, they gave us a list of collaborators. Of the list we got from NVIDIA, the one that jumped right out for me was Adobe which was already on our radar screen for AI after we spoke to CEO Shantun Narayan two weeks ago. He told us that the sheer scale of Adobe's user base, which is several hundred million people strong, makes it the perfect place for AI functionality to create value. At last week's NVIDIA's conference, we learned more about what Adobe's doing here. Oh my gosh, blowout! They're partnering with NVIDIA to build a new set of generative AI models that can be used by Adobe's customer base of creators and marketers. Remember, they are legion. In a concurrent announcement, they also introduced Adobe Firefly, a new family of generative AI models and unveiled the beta version of the first model, which is focused on generating images and text effects without any manual editing. This takes no time to do. Adobe showed a picture of a summer scene, then showed you you could type into Firefly, change scene to winter day, and voila. You got just that. Take a look at this. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's a great example of AI actually making people's lives easier. This could save a team of graphic designers hours or even days. I know people who are actually trying to use the beta. It is so exciting. NVIDIA also announced a number of partnerships in the world of healthcare. Now, no one's talking about these either. I don't get it. Why does this stuff just drop? Including intriguing efforts with Medtronic, which is a little down on its luck, and AstraZeneca. Medtronic specializes in cardiac devices, surgical robots, insulin pumps, surgical tools, and patient monitoring systems. They're partnering with NVIDIA to build an AI platform for software-defined medical devices. One of the first projects of this partnership will be integrating NVIDIA's AI technologies into Medtronic's Intelligent Endoscopy Module, which is the first FDA-cleared AI-assisted colonoscopy tool which helps doctors detect polyps that can lead to corolectal cancer. Medtronic intends to integrate NVIDIA Holoscan, a real-time AI computing software platform for building medical devices, and NVIDIA IGX, that's an AI hardware platform with their GI genius colonoscopy system to give doctors AI-enhanced diagnostic images. Hey, this is not some pie in the sky. Uh, Many years from now, down the road, uh uh-uh, now. They think they can see actual stuff from this later this year. Medtronic could use it. The stock's been a tough one to own. And you know I always care about whether something is in the numbers? This stuff is not in the numbers. It's a reason to open the book again on Medtronic after I know I gave up on it. The other main focus on healthcare is NVIDIA's conference last week was the $2 trillion drug, drug discovery and development business. Now, NVIDIA spent a great deal of time telling us about their drug development platform that helps researchers create, fine-tune, and use customer models with their own proprietary data. NVIDIA's listed a small roster of early adopters, including two major players that you know, Amgen and AstraZeneca. Now, we've known for a long time that the drug industry has been leaning into AI to develop new compounds faster. Remember, Moderna was able to create COVID vaccines so quickly because they were running artificial intelligence models on Amazon Web Services. What NVIDIA's doing in drug development sounds like an even better version of that, which is why Amgen and AstraZeneca are all over it, but I still think it's not in their stocks. Finally, we also heard that NVIDIA's working with a couple- of stock photo companies. Now, this is interesting because there's a little speculation. Getty Images and Shutterstock. Now, Getty's partnering with NVIDIA to develop two generative AI models using NVIDIA's Picasso platform, which will allow users to create custom images of videos in seconds, simply by typing in the concept that they want. And they might even, uh, you know, look, they may be, might be able to copyright protection this stuff. I've checked this out myself and it's really pretty incredible. Separately, Shutterstock's partnering with NVIDIA to create generative 3D assets from simple text prompts. Remember, you don't need code for this stuff. With the professional software tools that are available today, building a high quality 3D model, then used for digital twins. And that's uh, entertainment, gaming purposes, they can uh, be very time consuming. But when you bring AI into the equation, the process should be much faster. That's what this is about, speed to market. We can go on. I mean, some of the most exciting uses of AI right now are in the auto industry. Last week, NVIDIA called out partnerships with a couple of foreign automakers, especially BMW, by the way, where they're using AI to make factory operations more efficient. Remember, Jensen Wong says he does not like waste. That's what they were able to do, is get rid of a lot of waste. NVIDIA's also worked with a variety of chip makers to improve the design and manufacture of next-gen semis. It's like, it's like the chips are designing themselves. Then there's Salesforce NVIDIA-powered generative AI, and that's Einstein GPT, which has been operating in the background over there since 2016. But with the launch of ChatGPT-style chatbot earlier this month, Wow, Salesforce is now getting a lot more information and a lot of attention for this. By the way, I think Salesforce, which reached a rapprochement with Elliott Partners just this morning, well, it's actually last night, that's an aggressive hedge fund that's taking a stake in the company. I feel very confident this charitable trust name can go much higher after the changes they've made. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I still like the obvious AI winners. I just spent this whole piece telling you about the great stuff NVIDIA is involved in, which is why I now firmly put that stock in the own it, don't trade it category as if it were Apple. But I also think it's worth uh, looking for the tangential winners from artificial intelligence, including these AI collaborators that are harnessing the power of this technology to improve their existing business. So here's the bottom line on these very exciting companies. And I know this is a very low dollar stock, so I want you to be very wary. But bottom line, if you believe artificial intelligence is a game changer, as I do, you might want to own the companies that are putting it to work, like Adobe, Medtronic, Amgen, AstraZeneca, Getty Images, again, the most speculative of them all, Shutterstock, or many other that we've heard about the unbelievable GTC event just last week. Man, Money's back there for the break.
1: Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next.
3: It is time! time for a very special tomorrow investing club monthly meeting at noon. So I can't go out tonight. i got to burn the midnight oil. Get ready for that very, very special meeting that I insist on you joining. Be a part of the club. And now it is time for the lightning round. the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Got it. Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Frank in Illinois. Frank. Hey Jim, love the show. Um, Thank you, Frank. On, my question is on Wolf, the coat. Is this a golden? I did not or like the quarter. And I got to tell you also, can I just say, you know, I don't like these P.E. deals. I never said I never say get in those after they come. There's too much debt. Let's go to Roberto in Florida. Roberto. Booyah, Jim. Long time. Booyah, Long time. Long and I want to
1: say thank you for everything you do for the regular investor. How are you?
3: Thank you. Then be at that club meeting tomorrow. I'm convening at noon. You're not gonna miss it. You promised me. All what right. is it? My club meeting tomorrow at twelve. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit. wild I'm calling from sunny South Florida, for Lauderdale. Okay. Days. Oh, I was down there just the other day. It's terrific. What's going on? Listen, man, I know you're. Um, I won't take too much of your time. I'm calling about Graphic International. But This stock is too cheap. This stock is too cheap. It's another one of those highly coiled spring cyclicals that I really like from uh, from Ohio. It's a winner, and I think you should buy it. It's, uh, how many? It's, it's, it's hard to go lower. Let's go to John in Washington. John. Hi, Jim. I'm a club member and a Mad Money fan. I paid $35. Yes! I paid $45 for MP materials a year ago. All right. Well, do we you don't care where it came from. We care it's going it. to. This is all because people said Tesla went out of the way and said, listen, we're not buying as many raw materials as we used to need. I think that that's very unlikely. I think they do need it. They got a great deal with with GM. I like Latinsky. I'm a buyer of MP materials. Henry in Florida. Henry. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you. I'm glad I got a voice today. It's fun. What's going on? <laughs> hey, I just wanted
2: to get your thoughts on ReVance, Symbol RV and Well, you
3: know, ReVance, it's in that category of uh, better looking skin. I think that people want to look good, feel good. Bye, oh, bye, bye, bye. Let's go to John in New Hampshire. John. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Feel good, John. How about you? Doing good, doing good. Good. I, was, I, was, I just had a question on what you thought about DraftKings as a long-term investment. Oh, if you said I was watching your, like, 17-hour infomercial on Sunday morning, I said, you know, it's kind of in your entertaining. I think that they have a very good product. I do like it. I just need to see them in more states. Isaac in New Jersey. Isaac. Boy, oh, yeah, Gene. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. What's happening? Just wanted to get your feelings on Royal Caribbean. I don't know. When I saw the reaction to Carnival, it was so negative. I figured it can't be that much better for RCL, so I have to say hard pass. Buy, buy, buy. And that, oops, no. Don't buy, don't, buy, don't And buy. that, and gentlemen's conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, oil ebbs and flows. But what do you do when the energy cohort stops trading together? For starters, stick with Kramer.
3: The oils. They've been rough this year. The price of crude has been bubbled. So, naturally, the petroleum stocks, what do they do? Well, they go lower. And you know what? Your estimates are probably still too high because they're based on assumptions from a time when analysts were feeling pretty darn bullish about the underlying commodity. Nevertheless, I find it agonizing to read the endless price target cuts. <laughs> From the analysts, day after day, simply taking the cue for the price of crude. Today, Morgan Stanley and Raymond James trimmed their price targets on oils for precisely that reason. Oh, boy, these guys can really not read a chart. Now, look, they're not necessarily going to be wrong. But I never liked this kind of behavior because it's a little misleading. These analysts have all realized that they were too bullish on oil at much higher levels, so now they're desperately trying to cut the price targets ahead of the quarters so that they won't look so foolish. But these are not the same old boom and bust oil companies of the old days. They've been conserving cash, buying back stock, and in many cases offering generous variable dividends, all of which prevented them from drilling too aggressively when crude was a lot higher. They would have been wasting their money. The oil companies have become more disciplined. So I think I'd rather be a buyer than a or something like an EOG or a Diamondback, because they could be coiled springs right here. And I like that. How's a pleasure. Why am I confident that oil can keep bouncing today? Because the Chinese economy could be coming back in a big way. Now they're open all over the place. More demand for energy. By the way, the Russians will have a hard time continuing to pipe all over the place as the, these levels. You know, you need good servicing, even the Russians do. And the oil service companies with the best technology, they've left Russia entirely. Plus, if the Fed can engineer a soft landing, beating inflation without causing recession, you know I'm still in that camp. It would be a huge positive for crude. I'm not the only one who feels that way. You know who else feels this way? You know who else is bullish on oil? Larry Williams, that legendary technician, market historian, who's worked in feature many times. You can find his proprietary indicators at iReallyTrade.com. He reached the same conclusion this very morning as I did when I was working on the charts. Larry likes to watch data from the CFTC's Weekly Commitments of Trader Support, or the COT report, which tells you what large speculators, small speculators, and finally commercial hedgers are doing with their future contracts. Now, he cares most about the commercial hedgers, actual producers, or consumers between them. They're in the game. Williams likes to take his cue from them, the commercials they know they know the best, always have. So chart, check this, check this, it's really amazing. Check the weekly chart of the West Texas Intermediate Crew Futures. Commercial hedgers down at data, it's in red down here, okay? Right now, Williams points out, look at this, I need you to see how important this is. He points out that we have not seen the commercials this bullish since 2016. And by the way, look what that's the last time we had like a huge run. We had a nice run here from here to here. You want to catch that? Uh, We could have a two year rally, a two year rally right here. Are you looking for that? I am. At the same time, Williams has spotted a very steady five and a half year cycle in oil that's repeated itself over and over again for the past 30 years. Wow, I'll take that to the bank. Take a look. With the projection based on the cycle in blue, six out of six times. That's a nice ratio. Six out of six times, I repeat. Oil's experienced a monster rally at this point in the cycle. Larry's betting will happen again just when they're all cutting the price targets. I'm inclined to listen because he's got a great track record. Mainly, though, I think the analyst coverage of oil tends to be misguided because people who are too bullish at the top get sheepish and become too bearish at the bottom. They're just a herd. Contrast that with Rusty Brazil from RBN Energy, who wasn't particularly sanguine when oil was in the 100s, but told us just last week on this show, he thinks it'll be foolish that people are starting to turn bearish now. Rusty sees less oil being pumped, especially here in the United States. We're Look at only a low single-digit production growth forward after a big explosion. That's not enough to save a better economy, assuming we get one. That's why I do like the stocks of the oil producers, particularly the ones with the big variable dividends, especially on weakness like now. Natural gas, a little more difficult. Tougher story. In the end, the hardest part of owning commodity stocks is they tend to trade together. And they're like the tides. When the tide comes in, the bulls get killed. When the tide goes out, the bears get killed. But as we'll explain at our monthly investing club meeting tomorrow at noon, which I hope you will join, the oil stocks no longer deserve to trade together. Some are simply better and more disciplined than their peers, which is why I've been willing to stick with them in anticipation of more days like today to come. Sure, all oil, oil stocks are equal, but some are more equal than others. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you i find it just for you. Right here on Mad Money, I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.
4: From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive.